You know, some of the coolest and yet sometimes, in my opinion, most annoying people that I've ever met are Mac people. Now, I know you know what I'm talking about when I talk about Mac people. You know, the, the people that go to a meeting and they pull out their brand new electronic device, whether it's their Air or whatever they're called, all of these very impressive, shiny, high-end electronic devices. And they look at you with your Samsung PC laptop that weighs three times as much, and they just look down their nose at you, and it's just like, oh, how do you function without a Mac? And, and the reality is, I, and it's not hip, it's not cool to admit this, but I'll be transparent with my faith family. I don't own a single Mac product, and I never actually have owned a single Mac product. I'm also not on social media, but that's the sidebar. Um, so I know I'm not a very cool pastor, but the reality is that some people, they really follow Macs. They, they enjoy them. They collect them. They want the newest one. And I, for the record, I know they're superior to PCs. I'm aware. I know. I'm just not a Mac guy. I don't, I, don't, I don't care that much. I don't follow them. But everyone follows something. And in the ultimate sense, I really mean this, in the ultimate spiritual, the whole life, since we all follow something or someone. You could say some people are disciples of Mac. I'm not. I don't follow Mac. But we all do give our hearts to various pursuits or possessions. All of us do that. We all follow. It's much bigger than electronic devices. So it's good to consider, well, what has my attention what, am I, what is my mind being captivated by, and what am I really following? We've been talking about following Jesus. We talked about it a little bit. Last week, we'll talk about it more this week. Today is going to be a little bit unique. On most Fridays, the way that we preach the Word in our church is what we call expositional, where we'll choose one text, usually in the series. We'll begin a new one next week in the book of Joshua, a series called Victorious. The gospel in the book of Joshua. So we'll begin that series that will take us through the rest of the year next week. And we'll go in each section and look. And what we do is we have one text. And that one text has one main idea, one truth. And then that is what helps us understand and apply God's word. Today's been a little bit different. Today will be a topical sermon, a rare one in our faith family. And so the theme, there isn't one main idea because there isn't any one text. There's multiple But the theme for this morning is that Jesus calls his disciples to make more disciples for him. And so this is what we're talking about this morning. And everything that we read in various passages are all revolving around this theme. And we'll see where in God's word it describes this and how Jesus calls his disciples to go and make more disciples for him. And let's begin by reading a very well-known passage that describes this in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The verses will be on the screen. This is sometimes called the Great Commission. Here's what Jesus says to us. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. What we see here, Jesus says, he has all authority. He had just died and resurrected powerfully. He had just proven with victory over death that he is God, that Jesus is God himself, and that he is the sovereign, all-powerful king. All authority is his. And then this master, this king, gives specific instructions to his followers, to his disciples. He tells them, here's the instruction, go make disciples. I'm the king, I have resurrected, I am the God of the universe, there is no God but me, You are my followers. I have purchased you with my own blood. You belong to me, bought with a price. And now here is your instructions. This is the marching orders 
for the church. He says, go and make disciples. And then he has a promise. The promise is that we have his presence. I'm with you. Yes, go do this, but I'm with you. My spirit is in you, and you have my presence. And so what we're seeing here is this is the command to go multiply, go reproduce, go make more disciples. So as we consider this theme that Jesus has called his disciples to make more disciples for him, we're going to ask three questions and look at various verses that describe this. And so they're on, on your screen if you want to jot these down. We're going to be looking at three questions. First one is, what is a disciple of Jesus? We want to get to an answer. And well, what is a disciple of Jesus? And secondly, how are disciples of Jesus made? Because Jesus talks to disciples and he says, go make disciples. So we need to know, well, what is one? And how do you make disciples? And then lastly, well, how can I join in? How, how can I, how can you be a part of this mission that our master has all authority, the resurrected Lord of the universe, our Savior, our love and our desire, Jesus. He calls us to do this. And so we're going to also ask, how do I join in? How can I be a part of this eternal, satisfying, glorious mission? First question, what exactly is a disciple of Jesus? So what is a disciple of Jesus? Let's look in the same book, Matthew. But let's go backwards. We just read the end of the book and how it concludes with the call to make disciples. Let's go back to chapter 11 earlier when Jesus is talking about what a disciple of, of his is. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So much in these verses. Jesus begins saying, come to me. He doesn't say, go follow a religion. He doesn't say, go down this other path. He doesn't say, get more religious. He doesn't say, adopt a system of belief. He doesn't say any of that. Jesus says, come to me. Focus on me. Focus on a person, me. And Jesus, God himself, he says, focus on me. And he says, learn from me. The word disciple means learner. And so if you want to get to the actual definition of what is a disciple, the word disciple actually means learner. And so which is why Jesus says, come learn from me. He's saying, come Sit at my feet and come learn. Let me teach you. Come focus on me. He's inviting people to a relationship, not to a religion, into a personal relationship. Come enjoy me. Come know me and I will teach you. Come learn from me. Come be my disciple. And he says, take my yoke upon you. A burden. A yoke was was a piece of wood that was used in the back of an ox that would then go plow a field. And so the yoke was necessary to accomplish the purpose of plowing the field. And so he says, put this on. And so there's, there's this burden that we have when we follow Jesus. He says, take my yoke. So there's a burden. He uses the word even burden in the text. But he says, my burden, he says, is light and gives us rest. Our souls find rest only in following Jesus. So yes, there is a cost. Yes, there is a burden to discipleship, to following Jesus. And we're told repeatedly to count the cost. We looked at that last week. And yet, it brings joy. It brings peace. It brings hope and forgiveness and rest for our souls. And so the burden of following Jesus is that you get joy. You get Peace. And he says here, I will give you rest. And in him alone do we find rest. But this is absolutely remarkable when we stop just for a minute and think about what we actually deserve. And I really mean this, what we as humans deserve. Because God made us for a specific purpose. He made us to know him and to enjoy him forever. So he made us for his joy. He loves us. And he showers us with blessings every day, with life itself, 
with health, with family, with employment, with, with the sun, with food. The list goes on of how God blesses us and He showers us with blessings. He's forever good to us and He's faithful to us. He's always faithful to us. And so, because of that, He expects us to be faithful to Him. We were made for Him. And so He says, look, I'm going to bless you overwhelmingly. All I ask is that you be faithful to me. And how do we, you and I, how do we respond to this loving, glorious, and faithful God? We cheat on him. He's faithful to us, and we're unfaithful to him. We run to prostitutes, spiritually speaking. This is what we do. We love other things more than we love Jesus. We're unfaithful to him. So he's faithful to us and we, we run away and we give our hearts to other things that we would love. And then we try to rob God of his glory as we want to fuel our own pride. And so what does God do to sinners like you and me? He sent his son. And then Jesus endeared your shame He endured our guilt. And the Father took the record of your debt, the record of your sin, and he nailed it through the hands of Jesus onto a cross. What we deserved, the condemnation that we earned, we deserved, Jesus endured for you, for me, to display God's glory to redeem a sinful, corrupt people, that he will then send his spirit to indwell and to radically transform into people that now love him and by his grace are faithful to him. And so totally depraved humans like us that then become saints who worship Jesus is absolutely remarkable, supernatural, and it's the work of God. And Jesus did it all. And so how must we respond to this good news that Jesus came and endured our shame on the cross and resurrected powerfully? How must we respond to this? Well, Mark chapter 1, verse 15 tells us how we should respond. And Jesus saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so in order to be a follower of Jesus, someone must repent, turn away from their sin with their whole heart, and trust in Jesus with his finished work on the cross, that which we cannot earn, that which we do not deserve. And Jesus did it, and we respond to him with complete trust and repentance. And then what happens? Well, if you look at Mark 1.15, we don't have time this morning, it'll be way too long. But that next paragraph, Mark 1.16, the very next verse, guess what Jesus does? He goes to fishermen and he says, come, follow me. So he's saying, if you want to come follow me, you first have to repent and believe with all your heart in me. And what happened? These fishermen, they left everything. They abandoned their, their family, their careers, their compass, everything that was familiar to them, they left it all. And church history tells us that all of them died for Jesus. The only exception being John, who was exiled, who suffered tremendously even though he wasn't martyred. All the others were killed for Jesus. They suffered greatly. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. That's why We follow Jesus because he alone can satisfy. Because we have eternity. We have reward in heaven to wait for. And so there is a reward that's coming, but it's not on this side of heaven. It's after you die and you're resurrected. And then you'll be glorified and you're going to have eternity with Jesus. And what you suffered on this side of heaven is just going to be, as James says, a puff of smoke. That's what this life is. It's so brief. So we live it for Jesus. Because we have an eternity to gain to live for him because he satisfies us alone. We have joy, rest. And so what if we take these texts and put it all together? What is a disciple of Jesus? The definition on the screen. 
A disciple of Jesus is a lifelong, committed learner and follower of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A lifelong, committed learner and follower of Jesus. Someone that has been regenerated, born again of the Spirit of God. A true believer in Jesus. Not a casual Christian, a true Christian. In the sense that they're a follower of Jesus. They've repented, believed, have his spirit. They're born again. That is a disciple. And it's a lifelong and it's an eternal thing. But we are committed to him because he is committed to us and he's changed our heart. We love him. I'm going to follow him wherever he leads, whatever the cost, because he's worth it. And so as a church, our desire is not to fill seats. And in the Emmers Park Zoo, we need a few more of them. But that's not our goal. Our, our desire here as a church is to see boys and girls and to see men and women truly follow Jesus to take on his character, to savor the goodness of Jesus. What we want most is to glorify God by making and developing disciples, to people that are white-hot worshipers of Jesus, that are on fire for him, that love Jesus, following him. That's what we want, mature disciples. So that's what disciple is. Second question, as we go in this progression, how are disciples of Jesus made? How does that actually happen. So we've seen the end result, but what is, what is the process for how we become disciples? Well, let's look in the book of Acts. Now, the whole book is incredible and describes this, but we'll focus briefly a few select verses in the first two chapters that helps us to see how disciples of Jesus are actually made. And so, Acts 1, verse 8, the very beginning of the book, this is Jesus speaking after his resurrection, right before he ascends to the Father. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus is making a promise. You will do this. You will be my witnesses. You you will go proclaim the gospel and I'm going to give you power. I'm going to help you to do this. You can't do it on your own. This is Jesus' mission. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to accomplish the redemption, but then he entrusts it to us to go and to tell others. And he says, you're not doing it alone. He promised Matthew 28, I'll be with you. Here he says, how? My spirit's going to come upon you and he will empower you. And what happens in the very next chapter? The spirit comes with power. He indwells believers. And what do they do? They start telling others about Jesus. They start immediately preaching the gospel. They start being witnesses that Jesus promised that they would be to all nations. And Peter preaches the first Christian sermon in chapter 2. As soon as he is indwelt by the Spirit, in verses 32 and 33, he captures part of his sermon. And here's what he says. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was resurrected, and now he has poured out his Spirit on believers, and now he is preaching. And in verse 36, he continues, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He is the promised Messiah, the promised Christ of God, and he is the rightful heir to the throne. It says that he is Lord, he is the King. He has all authority, as we saw in Matthew 28, verses 37 and 38. He continues preaching, and he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so in this sermon, he's describing how we're condemned sinners, and Jesus died on the cross in our place. And then 
they understood this for the first time, that they're sinners, and that Jesus is the king, and that he died in their place and was powerfully resurrected, and he's the king who demands obedience. And then for the first time, when they were looking upon the holiness of Jesus and his indescribable power in the resurrection, now the Holy Spirit convicts them. And they say, in light of my sin, and in light of this glory of Jesus, what, what do we do? How do we respond to this work of Christ on the cross? And he says the same thing Jesus said. Repent. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn towards God with complete trust. That's, that's how disciples are made. They repent. They trust in Jesus. And now you have someone that is a follower of Jesus. Their lives are transformed. As you saw, they have given the Holy Spirit. They're indwelt. Now they have the power to live a victorious life. And what do their lives look like? The end of the chapter. You can't look at all of it, but just the last couple of verses in chapter 2 give us just a snapshot of what their lives look like now that they're followers of Jesus. Verse 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were transformed from the inside out. They experienced healing and forgiveness and reconciliation. And, they're, and, they're, and they have glad hearts and thanksgiving. And they're living in community. They're loving one another. And people are seeing their lives be different transformed because of Jesus through the power of his spirit and people are noticing and saying whoa this is different and you have disciples making disciples because every single day people were coming to complete trust in Jesus so you have people repenting and believing every day because of how these early disciples were living their lives with absolute transformation but the key here is they were doing it together they were doing it in community. So let's answer this question. How are disciples of Jesus made? Answer. It's a long one. It's on your screens. The Holy Spirit empowers disciples to make new disciples by proclaiming the gospel in community. So it's kind of a long answer, but it's capturing how we make disciples. The Holy Spirit has to begin the process. The Holy Spirit has to empower, as Jesus told us. And so the Holy Spirit empowers disciples, like us, to make new disciples by proclaiming the gospel. And we do it together in community. And so the only way to experience lasting joy and forgiveness and rest, true rest for our souls, is to hear the good news of Jesus, that he's paid the price, he's the king, and that we respond with faith and repentance. That is how disciples are made, and we're the ones that do this. Now, I'm going to get a little bit sneaky and throw in another question in there. Think of it like question 2B, all right? This is not, not the third question yet, but it's connected on the second one. So question 2B is, so how are disciples of Jesus developed? So we're asking how are disciples of Jesus made, and they're made whenever they hear the gospel and they repent, express their trust in Jesus with us telling them, well, then how do they grow? How are disciples then developed? Well, by the way, it's the same answer. The Holy Spirit empowers disciples to develop existing disciples by proclaiming the gospel in community. It's the same answer. If someone is far from God, they're not following Jesus. They're spiritually lost. They have no rest in their soul. What does that person need most? They need the gospel. They need Jesus. But if you have a believer that is trying to follow Jesus, how does that that disciple grow and reach maturity in Jesus? The gospel. Same answer. Same. The same gospel that saves is the same gospel that then sanctifies. It's the same. It's focusing on Jesus. 
So the same gospel that brings people to complete trust in Jesus is the same gospel that then grows existing believers to maturity in Christ. We focus on Jesus. We focus on his gospel of grace. And so we must daily, as followers of Jesus, we must daily spend time abiding in Christ, as he describes in John 15. Abide in me. We must abide in Jesus. Every day, abide means to continue. Continuing in Jesus. Every day, meditating on the cross. You see, as as people that know Jesus, and I would pray all of you are, I don't know that to be a fact. I don't know that everyone in here is truly a follower of Jesus. But if you're not, then today you can repent. You can place a complete trust in Jesus, and you can experience rest for your soul. But even those of us that are disciples, we have to go back to the cross every single day. But why do I say that? Because we begin our journey following Jesus with Christ, but then we grow deeper in Christ with the gospel, and then we go deeper into the gospel. So we never get past the gospel. It's not like you say, oh, okay, I already received Christ. Now I'm going on to more important things. No, there's nothing more important. We simply go deeper. And the more that we focus on the love and the mercy that we saw at the cross and meditate on that and on the glory of God, the more our hearts will change. And we forget what Jesus did for us, and it's easy to forget because life is busy. The more we forget, the more our lives won't reflect his character. And so we spend time with Christ as we remember what he did for us every day on the cross. Now, some people will say, well, I focus on evangelism. And so they'll say, well, what I focus on as, as a follower of Jesus is on sharing the love of God with those who don't know him. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to do. Others will say, well, I focus on discipleship. And so I don't really focus on evangelism. I focus more on discipleship. I focus on helping believers to mature more in their faith. And so I engage in more discipleship-type ministries. Jesus never told us to separate evangelism from discipleship. That's not the Bible. It's not there. The Great Commission and everything Jesus told us is about being centered upon him and being centered upon his gospel. And so we're called to be gospel-centered, not evangelism or discipleship-centered. We're supposed to be, as Jesus describes to us, focused upon him and on his gospel. Because again, the same gospel that saves also sanctifies. So you focus on Jesus every day. And you know what's going to happen? You will more naturally, out of the overflow you're going to be sharing your faith with those who don't know him. And you will naturally desire to grow spiritually and to help others also grow as they follow Jesus. And so we will make and develop disciples as we focus upon Christ and his gospel. And so how are disciples both made and developed? Full question there. Is the Holy Spirit empowers disciples to make more disciples. By proclaiming the gospel in community. It has to be done in community. We follow Jesus together. And so, if you want to think of it this way, we accomplish this mission in community, but you can't do it alone. So discipleship is gospel-centered and community-shaped. So, again, discipleship really is both. It's both gospel-centered and community-shaped. It has to be done together. And by the way, that's how Jesus did it. Jesus both made new disciples, but then he developed them by focusing on them individually in community. And so he was, he was sharing and he was teaching his disciples. He was teaching them individually. So let me show you how this works. He took 12 ordinary men. Ordinary. Nothing special about these 12 men. He took them And he taught them individually. He taught them personally. He invested in them. And then he entrusted the redemption of all nations on these 12 men. You realize that? That every time there was a crowd, he would say something like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
People were like, man, that's weird. And the crowd would disperse. And then there's a crowd, and he would say, count the cost. Count the cost. You're going to suffer if you follow me. He constantly was trying to disperse the crowds, and he would invest in a few. He's 12. He did preach, no doubt. But at the very end, you know how many there were total? 120. There were 120 people that were truly following Jesus after his earthly ministry had finished. And he entrusted it to a few people to multiply. Disciples who would then go and make more disciples. And so let me show you Jesus' discipleship method. It's on your screen. This is how Jesus did it. First, what he would do, number one, is the disciples would watch Jesus. So like in Matthew 5 through 7, he's teaching what's called Sermon on the Mount. So this is, this is him teaching. They were just watching, just learning from him. And then secondly, you know what he would do? He would, the disciples would help Jesus. And so what you see here in that text in John 6, he's feeding the 5,000, and they were the ones that were distributing and collecting the leftover food. And so they were just kind of helping Jesus. He was the one doing it, but they were just there learning like a, as an apprentice under Jesus. But then thirdly, what he did is the disciples would minister, and Jesus helped them. So you see the progression. First they watched, and then Jesus was helped by the disciples, but then Jesus would help the disciples. And so, for example, in Luke chapter 10, what you see there is the disciples trying to cast out a demon, and they can't do it. They're trying but they can't. Jesus comes and he helps them. They're like, Jesus, why, why couldn't we do it? And he's like, because you need to pray more. Just when he goes out by much prayer. So he's helping them do ministry. And then number four, lastly, the disciples would then minister and Jesus watched them. So here's the progression. So what happened in there in that text in Luke 10? He sends them out for a short-term mission trip. Two by two, they go out, they share the gospel, they go make disciples, and then they come back and they report to Jesus. They're like, Jesus is amazing. People are responding. And he's like, well, of course. Of course. I've come for this purpose. And he sends them out on a short-term mission trip. And so he's watching them do it. So there's a progression. He's teaching them. He's showing them. He's investing in them. And then he dies. He resurrects. He's like, here's the Holy Spirit. Now I entrust my mission to reach all nations to you few. And he goes to heaven. He leaves his spirit. And what happens? They multiply. And they multiply. Disciples making disciples. But here's the thing, a lot of churches try to mass-produce disciples. They think that you have big classes and a lot of programs, and you can like have a big conveyor you can like stamp off disciples. Guess what? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Going to more classes won't make you a better disciple necessarily. By the way, listening to a lot of preaching isn't enough. It's not enough coming on Friday mornings and hearing incredible expositions of God's Word. (laughs) Or not. I don't care how amazing or how horrible, whether you love or endure my preaching, it's not enough. You need more. Jesus focused on a few. He invested. Disciples are made and developed through personal investment. Jesus had enough vision to think small. You think, wait, wait, wait. Wasn't Jesus' vision to reach all nations? Yes. And so what did he do? He invested in a few so that they would be ready to carry the mission. You can't invest in a crowd. You can only invest in a few. It's the way Jesus did it. And so Jesus' plan to reach all nations would be accomplished through the few men that he personally discipled. Because Jesus focused on multiplication. Not on programs, but on disciples making disciples. Until all people hear about the glory of Jesus. And then he returns in full splendor to take his people home to eternal rest. 
So we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples personal investments. And you see the Apostle Paul followed the exact same method that he learned from Jesus. You see it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then, my child, he's talking to a young pastor Timothy, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. He calls him his child. He was investing in him. So much so, Paul was discipling Timothy to the point where he was his son. Such a close relationship. 2 Timothy 2, 2, kind of the key verse for this whole message is, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this is very important. This is a discipleship chain. And so there's a graphic on your screens that kind of helps you see what he's saying. He's like, okay, I've taught you, and now you entrust to faithful men who will then teach others and teach others. And so Paul invested in Timothy, who invested in others who would then go teach others. 2 Timothy 2.2 is the way disciples are made and developed. It is powerful. It is the way Jesus did it. It's the way Paul did it. And it's the way, as a church, we want to do it. Discipling is a relationship. It's not a program. Discipling is a relationship where you intentionally, here's the key, intentional relationship where you hold someone's hand. You say, hey, come with me. Let's go follow Jesus together. Let's cry together and celebrate together. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's pray for each other. Let's really know each other. And let's together learn how to follow the Master so that His glory is revealed. And then, after a season of us doing that, let's find others to disciple so that we don't get stagnant with just one little group, but we meet with others who will then disciple others who will then disciple others. This will change everything. Can you reach maturity by coming to worship gatherings alone? No. No, I love Friday. I mean, you have to know, Friday morning is my favorite time of the week. I mean, you prepare all week for it, and so in my case, of course, I love Friday mornings. But it's more than that. I love seeing all of you, shaking hands, and so many people that are new. And I just love trying to learn your names. And sometimes I botch it, and so please forgive me, but I want to learn your names. I want to know you, and I want you to be known. I really do care. And it's not just me. There are other elders as well, our ministry team leaders. We want you to be connected. But you have to understand, coming in Friday morning is not enough. It's just not possible. So the first question is, what is the disciple of Jesus? A lifelong Committed, learner, follower of Jesus. And how are disciples better developed with the gospel? In community. Highly relational. Last question. How can I join? All right, I understand. I'm beginning to believe you, maybe. Maybe. Amen? How do I join in? What do I do? How can I be a part of this? Let's read. I, I won't belabor it, I promise, because I want to talk about how this works, but I want it to come from the Scriptures. John 14, John 14, verse 12, Jesus tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. That's a powerful verse. You can't unpack all of it here. Time is almost up. Powerful. You'll do greater works. Or what are the works of Jesus? Redemption. He came to seek and save the lost, to die on the cross. People could repent and believe in him and experience joy. He came, he came to give life in abundance. He came to redeem. And so he says, you're going to do the same works. You're, you're part of my redemption. And you're going to do even more than me. Why? Because you're going to multiply further. I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to give you the Spirit. Now we're going to see multiplication happen. Verses 15 through 17, same text. He says, if you love me, this is huge. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Amen. We have the spirit of God living in us. Radically transformed. So he says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You follow my commands. I'm the king. And then Luke 6.46, he says the same thing. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's not enough to just hear and pretend like you're going to do it. You have to actually do it. Like me, just two days ago, I was working, and my wife says, hey, I have to run some errands. And so can you please, in the next hour or so, can you go to the, the freezer and take out some chicken and put it on, on, in, in the sink so it'll, it'll thaw out in time for dinner? I was like, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, no problem. I heard what she said, but guess what happened? I forgot. I didn't take out the chicken. And then you know what I heard? Like hours later, I hear my children walking down the outside corridor heading for our front door. And what was the first thing that I thought? Oh, man, the chicken. Like I forgot. And so what do I do? I want to cover my tracks, right? So I run to the freezer and I take out the chicken and I put it right on, on the countertop and back to my office. Like nothing happened, right? And then, I, and then I just hear my wife, like, knocking on the rock-hard chicken. I'm like, I took it out. I took out the chicken. She, I was like, I'm sorry, I forgot. And she was like, ah, oh, what am I going to do for dinner now? And so I think we had leftovers. I don't know. She, she, she figured it out despite her husband. So it's not, and guys, it's not just me. Be honest. You know it's not just me. Your wife says, will you please do this? And you're like, oh, yes, 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 honey. No problem, sweetie. But then you don't do it. Imagine our Father in heaven, our Master in heaven. He's looking down and he sees his people reading his word. And it says, go make disciples. And then we say, yes, Pastor, we should all, yes, we should do that. We are for making disciples. But then we don't do it. And Jesus is looking down, his spirit in us and You have to know that at some point, you have to take this seriously. This matters. This matters. This is not optional. God didn't save us to just go to church. You know, I see a problem, and I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about general church-wide when, when I look, I see so many people that they're struggling to really obey Jesus. And, and when I look, you know what I see in a lot of churches? People are bored. They're literally bored at church. Because all they've known their whole lives is, oh, being a Christian means you just go to church and you sit and you sing some cool songs. Or if you're traditional, you sing some very respectful, slow songs with a pipe organ. So you go, you sit, you sing some songs, you, you hear some dude talk for way too long about whatever is on his mind, and then you're thinking about lunch or about whatever, and then you, and you want to get out early to beat the traffic, and then you go, and then, okay, I'm done, halas. People are bored. And they think, what's the point? Why? Why, do, why should I do that? No transformation, struggling to obey the master, no passion, no excitement, no vibrancy. And Jesus didn't make us to live like that. He didn't make us to follow him like that. He wants you to follow him. This is the most glorious mission on the planet that has ever been conceived the very God of the universe who died and resurrected has given you his spirit. And he's like, hey, I'm entrusting you with my mission. What's more glorious than that? And it ought not be boring. See, Jesus invites us. He says, hey, will you come? He invites us to be, be part of my plan. See, he has designed all of his people to experience his joy and then to share his love with others among all the people that make this happen until he returns. And at ECC Off Island, we want you to experience this joy that you were made 
four. So I'm going to ask you to take one moment, and I want you to pull this out. Pull out the slip that's in your bulletin. All right? We put two in every bulletin. So one for wife, one for husband. And if you already used one earlier because you were a guest, hopefully there's a second one there. And if not, there's a few more in the back. So I want you to pull this out. I want you to look on the front. I won't go into any detail because we talked about that more last week. And we talked about influencing the world and influencing the church and how you can use your gifts to build up this body. And so on the front, you will see all the various different ministry teams. If you are a member or a regular attender, if you're a guest, this is not for you. Just keep coming. You're a guest. But if you're, if you're a regular attender, especially if you're a member, then find a place to serve. Check one of these, and we'll call you and help you get connected. But I want you to turn on the back. On the back, it's very important. Disciples making disciples. Remember, discipling is a relationship where you help someone reach maturity in Christ. You will not grow spiritually if you are not known. You have to be known. You have to be held accountable. And so the first option is home groups. You see it there on the left side of this slip. Home groups. What is a home group? Eight to twelve people that meet throughout the week, once a week, usually on a weeknight. And in our case, all of them are in homes all around the city, from MBZ to Ozena, Khalifa A, Al Reef, Shockboot City. We even have one in Saudi Island. And so we have, we're trying to cover all of Abu Dhabi geographically with home groups. And it's open to anyone. You can invite your friends who aren't following Jesus. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you, please invite your friends that aren't following Jesus to the home group. And this will become your family. You will celebrate and you will cry together. You will study the word, but even beyond that, you will really be sharing life and doing life together. It's a primary way that we want to care for the flock and that you're going to have community is in the home group. So if you don't have a home group, I can tell you this right now, you're following Jesus for the most part alone. You need people with you. And because we love you, we want what's best for you, we're saying join the home group. For your own blessing, join one. And for all those members and their regular attendance, this is an expectation in our church that you would join a home group. But there's a second option for community on the right side called a discipleship group. Now you're like, well, what's the difference? Well, they're both similar in that it's community, highly relational. They're both similar. You're going to pray instead of the word together. But see, here's the difference. In a discipleship group, it's much more intentional and much deeper relationships, also much smaller It's not 12 or so people, it's three to four people of the same gender. So again, same gender, three to four people. And these can meet anywhere. It can be a restaurant, it can be over lunch, it can be a breakfast, it can be over coffee, it can be any time we're scheduled so these three or four people will work. And this is another difference, it's a closed group. Home groups are open, invite anyone. This establishment group is not open, it's closed. Once you form one, the three or four of you are going to meet on a weekly basis. And you're going to have accountability. And and you're going to be encouraging one another to grow spiritually. And what you're going to be doing here is focusing on how can we encourage one another to really follow Jesus. More accountability and you're discipling each other. In the home group, for the most part, the leader prepares to lead a discussion, which is awesome. Discipleship group, everyone prepares. And everyone is discipling each other. Here's another big difference with the discipleship group. After a season of meeting, several months, the goal is the group will end. And everyone will take on a new three people and disciple, have a new discipleship group. So the goal is for every player to be a coach. The goal is for everyone being discipled to be a discipler. Disciples making disciples. And so in the discipleship group, the goal is that after a season, everything that you learn, you will multiply. You will reproduce and take on some new three people. And what we're, what's going to happen in our church is have a culture of discipleship. Where we speak truth to each other in love. Where we have the uncomfortable conversation with each other in love. So that we're a family and not just a crowd. We need you to sign up. You pray. 
If you already have a person or two in mind to have a discipleship group, then go do it. You don't need to sign up. If you already know, and by the way, there's multiple of these groups that already exist. I can name them, but I don't want to embarrass anyone, but there's multiple people, men and women, that have been meeting doing this. Now it's time to make it more of a church-wide reality. And so if you're already in one, keep it. Keep going. If you're not in one, if you're new and you're like, I don't even know where to begin with this, sign up. I'll call you this week. We'll try to figure out your life setting, and I'm going to prayerfully consider two other guys or three or, or gals if you're a lady and get you connected. And You can meet and go run with it, and, there, and you will study and you will learn and you will grow. Some of you are thinking, I don't like accountability. I don't like this. I don't want to be held accountable. Here's the thing. We all get held accountable. When you're driving your car, why do you hit your brakes when there's that box on your left-hand side or that traffic camera? Why do we slow down? We're held accountable because we don't want to get a ticket. Why do students study? And why you students? If there was never a test, would you study? No. A wise person seeks accountability. Anyone who's not accountable is in a very dangerous, precarious position. A foolish person runs away from accountability. The wise man knows he needs it. We all need it. The more you grow, the more your heart's going to want to tell others who don't know Jesus. And when people receive Christ, you know what? You get to start a new discipleship group with him or her and disciple them so that they can disciple others. And as people come to faith, they will be discipled so that they will become lifelong, committed learners, followers of Jesus. God made us to be disciples who make disciples, who then make disciples until that day when our king returns and we see him in full glory and we'll enjoy him forever. Till that day comes, this is our mission. This is what we do as a church. Are you following Jesus? If this is new to you and this whole concept is just radical to you, I would encourage you today to call out to Jesus. If you've never done that before, if you've never repented and trusted in Christ, please do so today. Experience this joy. Be part of this mission that you were made for. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. You are so good to us. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you saved us, you love us. We have the hope of eternity. We thank you for trusting us with your mission, giving us your spirit to accomplish it, for it's really you doing it through your spirit. We're just the vessels, and we praise you for that. I pray that we'll be a church that understands this and lives for you, lives to see more people come to faith and reach maturity. I pray for anyone in this room that is grappling with whether or not to join a group. I pray that they would do so, Father. Father, please. We need you. We praise you. We pray in the name of our Savior Jesus.